It is uh, great to be back at Radius Lexington. It's been a minute, and um, yeah, thanks. Um, unfortunately, the, here it's the same old story. It's the same old story. Um, John goes out of town to watch his son play a basketball game, and I get stuck with the PG-13 message, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. Nothing has changed. It's the same old Radius Lexington. Here we are working through this, and I get the sex talk. Thank you very much, John, John Reeves. I nearly thought about a walk-up song, a little Marvin Gaye today, but um, <laughs> I better, better, better not do that. Better not do that. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if you're new to us, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Red Letter Podcast because we thought if the medium today, if, if Jesus were going to speak, it, it might not be on a hillside. It might be through a podcast or some other medium. And so we're three weeks into Jesus' teaching, and, and he's talking about this kingdom. And so for us, episode three of this series is this idea of real sex, and what does that mean, and, and how do we apply Jesus' teaching to this? Now, there are some of us in the room, when I say that, and, and I got my Bible open over here, you're probably thinking, this is exactly what our culture needs, somebody to stand up from God's Word and talk about sexual issues and our day and age. And those are most of us who probably grew up in the church and, and have been following Jesus a long time. And we hold this up and say, that's exactly right. And we're going to do that. And then there are some of us who might be coming back to church who said, you know what? I left the church in the first place because I heard somebody take that same book and beat me over the head with it about sexual sin and legalism or, or fundamentalism. And so as a result, man, I'm a little nervous about what you're fixing to do here in a second. And then there are some of us who might be saying, I'm not even sure I'm fully in on Jesus yet, right? And you mean to tell me a guy that lived 2,000 years ago and his words are recorded here are going to talk about the complexities of sexuality and gender and all of the stuff that we deal with? You mean to tell me that that ancient book would have something to say that could address those? And so with all of those people in the room, I just would ask you this. Will you give me a few minutes to point to the words of Jesus and allow the Son of God to address these complexities in a very gentle, gracious, and challenging way. Because that's what he's going to do today. Um, if you would, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, yeah, you know my heart on this. Um, I've been praying it a lot this week, and so I'm going to pray it in front of my friends here that, uh, that we, would, we would submit to your word, and, and I pray that we would see Jesus for exactly who he is, the perfect man. The, the Savior, the, the, the guy that models what the kingdom of God looked like perfectly. And so, um, so Lord, I pray that we would submit to his teaching. Holy Spirit, uh, I'm, I'm asking you to be the better teacher. You inspired these words, and so I pray that you would illuminate them, make them real to us today. Uh, help us to hear from you. That's what we ask. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. If you got your Bibles, you want to follow along, we're not going to start in Matthew. We're going to start in 2 Samuel 
13, 2 Samuel 13. When you think about um, sex and the Bible, you would probably think there's a lot of crazy stories, and there are. And so I picked this one because I think it helps illustrate uh, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. So the words will be on the screen. I'll start reading in verse 1. Uh, it says, Sometime past, and David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And I just want to make sure we got all the characters. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This David is King David. Uh, this is the David that killed Goliath. This is that guy. Uh, this is the guy that's a man after God's own heart. And we see it says, Some time has passed. Now, if you know 2 Samuel, you'll notice that the previous two chapters of 2 Samuel were about the absolute greatest failure of David, which was the adultery slash rape of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Some time has passed, and now in 2 Samuel 13, we get another gross sexual story. Crazy, right? So David had multiple wives. That's a sermon for another time. And one of those wives, the children were Absalom and Tamar. And clearly from this text, we see that she is beautiful. We'll keep reading. Said, and David's son Amnon was infatuated with her, Tamar. Now this is another son by a, another wife. And so these are half-siblings, and so Amnon looks at his half-sister Tamar and says, yes, she is beautiful. And not only does he, he say she is beautiful, but he is infatuated with her. If you're reading a different text, it might be the word obsessed with her. When I think of obsessed, this is the idea that I am thinking about it constantly. You know what I mean? Are we obsessed with anything? Maybe it's your sports team. Maybe it's your hobby. Maybe it's a conflict at work. Maybe it's a whole host of things that we think about and we think about and we think about. I can't sleep at night because I can't turn it off. His obsession with his stepsister or half-sister Tamar is, it's over the top. Matter of fact, we're going to find out here in a moment, he gets physically ill as a result of his infatuation with her. He cannot shut it down. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to look past just for a second that this is a half-sister. Just need you to look past that just for a second. I just need you to feel the weight of a man who is so obsessed with this woman. I cannot imagine how cringy it must have felt for Tamar. Ladies, you know what I mean, don't you? What is that? Not only that, but I mean, how, you, every, here in a moment, you're going to know. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody can see it. Everybody can feel it. So that's where Amnon's at. It says, verse 2, Amnon was frustrated, so obsessed to the point he was making himself sick over his sister Tamar, Tamar because she was a virgin but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Not with her, to her. See, that's, that's what happens when this thing gets out of control is now all of a sudden we're not seeing people as people, we're seeing them as objects for our self-gratification. To her. 
Can you imagine that? I just want to do something to her. I just want, I just want her. Not a relationship. Not, I don't see her as God's gift. I don't even see her as a sister. I don't see that as my father's daughter. I don't see her as the image of God. I don't see her in any respectable way. I just see her as something that I should be able to use. Crazy, isn't it? I, I can't read the whole chapter. I'll sum up uh, a piece for you. So he's physically ill, and so in that, this is the king's son, and he's walking around with this physical demeanor about him, and he, um, he's got a buddy named Jonadab who looks at him and says, hey, why are you so sickly? Why are you so blue? Why are you wearing it so bad? What's going on, Amnon? And Amnon comes straight and says, you know what? I love Tamar. I love her. And Jonadab being the great friend that he is, Instead of saying, hey, let's, let, this isn't right, this isn't good, hey, we ought to do something about this, let's get some help here, let's come out in the open. Instead, Jonadab decides, I'm going to help you realize your fleshly desires. And he comes up with a plan. And the plan is, you go to bed sick, act like you're sick, and we're going to tell everybody you're sick, and the only thing that will make you feel better is if you get your sister Tamar to show up with the meal in your room so the two of you can be alone in a bedroom, and that you would say, if she'll just feed me with her hand, that will make me feel better. Great friend, Jonadab. That's a good one, isn't it? And so now they're going to come, this is going to come to fruition. Amnon says, this is brilliant. If I can just get alone with her, and sure enough, that happens. Let's take a look in verse 10. It says, bring the meal to the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. Tamar took the cake she had made and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. And when she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. What a statement, isn't it? Verse 12. Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't humiliate me, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't do this horrible thing. Where could I ever go with my disgrace? I don't have time to read the law to you, but if a woman was raped or had sex before marriage, outside of a marriage relationship, her disgrace would be that no one's going to marry her. And he's like, you're fixing to ruin my life. No one's going to take care of me. No one's going to marry me. And you're, you, this is going to be a disgrace for me. So much so that the law said if a man were to do that, you don't kill that man. You make him pay his, the woman's dad uh, uh, a down payment. And then you marry her. You make good on what you did. You don't, you don't kill that man. That man needs to take responsibility for what he's done. That's crazy, isn't it? So she says, where am I going to go with my disgrace? And you, she says, you would be like one of the immoral men of Israel. Remember our, our series on um, better decisions, fewer regrets? This would be one of those times where you're asking the question, is this the story I want told? Is this the story I want people to tell of me? I, I, I want to be known as that guy. She says, please speak to the king for he won't keep me from you. She's even given an option here. What? And you talk to the king, let's at least do this the right way. Wow. What a brave woman. But 
He refused to listen to her. And because he was stronger than she was, he raped her. After that was over, um, he was so angry at Tamar, he sent her out. He says, I hate you. This is what happens when, when sex is expressed in lust. It leads to disillusionment. Leaves you lacking and wanting. I don't think he was mad at Tamar. I think he was mad at himself. Anyway, we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. Tamar leaves. She's now got to wear this disgrace, and she wears it physically. She puts ashes on her head. She tears her garment. She then goes, and, and she goes to her brother Absalom, and, and Absalom knows exactly what happened. Let's take a look at it. It says this in, in verse 28. It says, now, uh, or excuse me, uh, verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? Why would he ask that question? Because everybody knew. Everybody knew. He, he did it to you, didn't he? Then he says this, Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. Let me be clear. Absalom's not telling her to be quiet because he wants to protect Amnon. I'm going to show you why he's doing that. He's saying, shh. I'm going to take care of this. Be quiet because I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to bring you into my house. You will be provided for. And not only that, I've made a note and I'll take care of Amnon. And so sure enough, that's what he's going to do. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 21, when King David heard about all these things, he was furious. That's all we get from David. He does squat. That's a sermon for another uh, time too. Verse 22. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced his sister Tamar. I'm not going to speak to you, just give you the silent treatment. I hate your guts. We don't do anything like that, do we? I just hate you. And you might say, he should hate. There's some righteous indignation for a man raping your sister. But look at what it says next. Two years later, Two years later. Two years later, this is what he's going to do for two years. For two years, he's going to plot and plan and come up with a way to get vengeance upon Amnon. At that point, it turns from righteous indignation to revenge. And so this is the plot. In two years, I'm going to have this big sheep shearing time and we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate the harvest and as we do it, we're going to drink and be merry and have a great meal. And he went to to daddy and said, dad, David, why don't you come and bring all the fellas? It's going to be a boy's weekend. King David says, I can't show up. And so Absalom says, well, can Amnon come? Love for Amnon to be there. They said, let's do it. And so Amnon shows up along with the rest of the boys. Absalom looks at him and says this. He looks at his servants and he says, hey, when Amnon's had too much to drink, his senses are dull. I'm going to give you the signal, and I want you to take his life. Let me show it to you. Verse 28. 
Now Absalom commanded his young men, watch Amnon until he is in a good mood from the wine, and when I order you to strike Amnon, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Am I not the one who has commanded you? Be strong and courageous. I love that. Be strong and courageous. What a passive jerk to ask his servants to do something he's been planning for two years. Not that his own hand would make it any better. Right? Isn't this just bad? So, does it? Verse uh, 29, so Absalom's young men did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the rest of the king's sons got up and each fled on his mule. Word gets to David that everybody had been killed. Word gets to David that all his sons had been killed, but that old boy Jonadab comes back on the scene. We love him, don't we? He comes to David and says, no, 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 no. Not, not everybody's been, been killed. Just Amnon. Look at it in, in verse 32. But Jonadab, son of David's brother, Shemaiah, spoke up. My Lord must not think they've all, that they've killed all the young men, the king's sons, because only Amnon is dead. In fact, listen to this. Absalom has planned this ever since the day Amnon disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years. Been planning it for two years. And I think just the exact same way that everyone knew that Amnon was a creep, everyone knew that Absalom was anger to the point of murder. You with me? Crazy to think about, isn't it? Crazy story. You say, why tell that story when we are getting to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? Why that? Here's the reason why. King David is supposed to be the guy that is for, for God representing the rule and reign of God over Israel. Israel has been given the law, 613 commands like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't rape, don't covet another man's wife, don't do these things, do these things. David and the royal family are the ones who should be leading the nation of Israel to follow these commands. David and the royal family, a man after God's own heart, should be leading the nation to follow this command. And here is the royal family failing in chapter 11 and 12 and 13, and they're failing royally. It clearly means we need a better king, right? And not only that, but we got to have a, a heart that is changed because this law in 613 list of behavior modifications and changes really has to start somewhere than just don't pull the trigger, don't pull the knife, or don't have the sex act. It's somewhere else. And in Deuteronomy, God says, your heart needs to be circumcised. And Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophet says, there's a new heart that's coming. There's a new heart that's coming. It's not just about what you don't do. So with that in mind, now let's go to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is on that hillside. 
He says, I have come to fulfill the law. All 613 of those laws, I've come to fulfill them. David, Solomon, Saul, king after king after king has failed to be the exemplar and the model for what this kingdom ethic and behavior should look like. I am here. I will do this perfectly. I will lay it out perfectly. And not only that, but I am going to show you a righteousness that is way better than just keeping some rules, than not just committing the final act. So listen to these words in Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Commandment number seven. He's going to do this six times. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, and he's going to quote the law or some portion of it, and then he's going to say this, but I tell you, Jesus is going to put his authority right there next to God's. This is great. You've heard it said, don't do what Amnon did. Don't do what David did. Don't do that. That's what you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you this. Everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Amnon was wrong long before he ever lured her in. Listen to me. He was wrong long before he ever lured her in. Every creepy look, wrong. Every video in his mind playing what he wanted to do to her, wrong. Wrong. I can't, I don't know, I just know that all the people that showed up on that hillside were hurting, they were sick. It says in chapter 4, they were diseased, needing help, just hoping Jesus would do something. I can only imagine how many marginalized women were sitting there as Jesus said, all those creeps who've looked at you, wrong. He is expanding this massively. Expanding it massively. It's no longer just the act. It's no longer the outward behavior. There's something about our inward disposition that must be changed. You want to hear what he says about murder? He says this, verse 21. You've heard it said that our ancestors said, do not murder. There it is, commandment number six. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, there's Jesus putting his right next to it. Same authority. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Absalom was wrong long before he ever gave the signal. He was wrong all two years as he dreamed and plotted and came up with the scenario and watched his brother die in his mind 15 times long before it ever happened. Jesus is saying, this thing is not just about the external. This is about inner disposition. And I'm going to tell you, man, this is, a, this is a high bar, isn't it? I want to follow a king with a high bar. <laughs> because he models this perfectly for us. He models it perfectly. And so he is so concerned about the inside He's changing it. He's changing it. So what he does, and he's going to do it every, all six times, 
He's going to say, here's the law. Here's what I say now to understand it. And then he's going to give this radical teaching on how to apply it. I hope you're ready for the radical because it's real. It's real. Let's take a look at anger. Look at what he tells you to do after this. After he says it's in your heart, here's this. Golly, it's, it's tough. Verse 22. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will, will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. Some of us are in trouble by what we did on the way to church today, right? Dude didn't use his blinker, moron. Right? And we laugh, but this is true, isn't it? Man, they can't get my order right. Ah! They don't know how to merge. They don't know how to use a time card. They can't just do... Listen, man. You start... Where's it start at? And then watch this. Here's the radical part. It gets, if you think that's bad, watch this. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Like you th- sit back and for some of us, we say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Remember chapter four, they're coming from Samaria and on the other side of the Jordan, they're all flocking to see him to come to Jerusalem to offer this sacrifice sacrifice and some of these would be just a we love you we thank you some of it would be hey i don't know i'm not sure where i sin but man just if i did something unintentionally here you go and this is what jesus is saying you just walked 80 miles to get to the temple with that little goat of yours and you get up there and you think johnny and i haven't been talking for the last two weeks tie him up set him aside. I know you went through all the bathing. I know you went through all the ritual. I know you went through all of that. Set him aside. Tell the priest to take a, take a, uh, uh, just watch him for you. And you walk your 80 miles back to Johnny. Get that squared away and then walk your 80 miles back to the temple to do it. That's extreme radical language, isn't it? That's what he's saying. It's not just, oh, you know, I'll come up here and take communion. I, uh, no, no. It, it's radical. And let me read the rest of it to you. I'm, I'm fixing to show you what's the worst part. Worst part. Reach a settlement quickly, verse 25, with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Worst part of this. Are you ready? He doesn't tell who's right or who's wrong. All he says is, be reconciled. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, if that guy apologizes to me, then I'll go make it right. (laughs) Well, if they would just come over here on their hands and knees and beg for forgiveness because I was wrong, you bet I got something wrong with him, but he hasn't apologized. That's not in here. There's no question of who's right, who's wrong, who's offended, who's not offended. This is our responsibility with the kingdom ethic of Jesus Christ is to be reconciled with people. Of an, I mean, this is extreme language. And we're sitting back waiting for somebody to apologize for something petty that happened four years ago. 
right? Crazy language. Here's more. I'll give you some more. Let's go to lust. Gets worse. It's worse. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, look at a woman lustfully. And by the way, we're not talking about, oh, she's attractive. We're talking about that creepy stare, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow. This is what we call hyperbole. Radical language to make a point. You must go to extreme measures to protect your heart. To extreme measures. I don't think this is literal. If it were literal, I think we'd be talking about different body parts, and I'm not trying to be crass or rude. Right? I'm just, I'm just telling you. I think this is truly about understanding that we should go to extreme measures to protect our heart. Right? By the way, this is just for free. That word hell there, the word hell is literally Gehenna. It's a place. It'd be right outside the city. It's the Valley of Hinnom. That's where they would discard trash. 500 years, 1,000 years previous, they would, there was sacrificing of babies there to a god named Moloch. They would have understood that to be, you don't want to be outside the camp in devastation. I don't think hell is talking about eternal judgment in this passage. I think it's about being outside the camp. If it's about eternal judgment, we got issues, right? We got issues. Um, I don't have a ton of time, so let me give you the best application I can quickly. Uh, The first thing I need you to know is clearly the kingdom of God is about inner disposition and not just about external behavior. If you leave here with anything else, please leave here with that. Jesus Christ cares about our hearts. He cares about it. Um, For anger, really quickly. um, Anger can be three things. It can be expressed. It can be suppressed. For some of us, We like to express our anger, and some of us, we express it violently. We may not be murdering anybody. We may not be assaulting anybody. We just may be yelling, slamming doors. We may be expressing it through gossip, backbiting. We might be expressing it with a really long lay on the horn or throwing something across a room. Right? Where does it start? Starts right here. Here in a minute, we're going to talk about this. Got to do some work here, right? Anger can be suppressed. Um, some of us have suppressed anger, and we've let it fester and turn into bitterness. We've let it turn into hurt. Either way, anger can have a physiological response on us. It can make us not want to eat. It can make us not be able to sleep. If we express it or we're suppressing it, We're not doing the third thing, which is what I think this text is calling us to do, which is to confess it. It's to confess it. Tell you you the truth, right? Um, Just open it up. I got fired one time. 
And uh, I was hot. I was hot. Ang- angry. My wife can tell you I was angry. Gosh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, right? I, w- I, was, I was angry. Um, felt like I had been wrong. Felt like it wasn't right. I immediately thought about how am I going to provide? How am I going to do this? This is, this is my livelihood. It's, some of it's my identity, right? I mean, that's what I do. It was, I, I hurt. I hurt. Um, there's a three-mile loop around our neighborhood. And I just knew I needed to walk that thing on a regular basis. Because when I would walk it, I would pray. And... Um, it's, at first, it started really good, right? Like psalm kind of prayers. Oh, Lord, you're so good and gracious. And then it turned into those ranting kind of prayers. But before long, as I just confessed my hurt, I confessed my sin, and as I began to pray for the person that I thought had wronged me, and that was, that was I had a guy tell me that. You just got to pray for that guy. Pray and pray and pray. Um, man, thank goodness it wasn't suppressed. Thank, God, thank goodness it wasn't expressed, because, man, I had some dark thoughts. Right? Um, that's anger. Uh, let's talk about lust for a second. Sex. Sex expressed in lust is disillusionment. It's only self-gratification. It, it only leaves you wanting. I'm not trying to be weird, whether that's sex with self or sex with another person. It just leaves you disillusioned, wanting more. I I know the world's telling us that no one's going to know and porn and all. I'm not here to give you all the statistics. We're grown adults, right? You can look this up. We know it deep. Do you need me to convince you that your brain is being altered by the chemicals released? Do you need me to to try to talk about addictive behavior? Do do we need this? Do you need me to give you that? You you don't need that. What we need to hear is, is that this is not the way God intended it when sex is expressed in lust. It just objectifies. It is purely self-gratification. It is... It, it, it just leaves you understanding that it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. And if you disagree with that, most of us who are struggling in this area are hiding it for a reason. Because you're ashamed of it. If it was so great, why don't we brag about it? Because it's not. And we know it. Lust, or excuse me, sex expressed in love is it's beautiful it's great it's exactly the way god meant for it to be when adam and eve male and female married becoming one flesh the first command to bear fruit and multiply they were naked and unashamed naked and unashamed it is it's an honor to god It's a gift to us. It's a beautiful thing. Right? It's beautiful. Matter of fact, it's so important that Paul said that that husbands and wives are a picture of Christ 
and the church that one day we're going to go to this marriage supper. Like this whole thing is about marriage. And I, I love you. I, there's obviously something beautiful about it. So sex expressed in love is amazing. Outside of that, husband, wife, marriage, relationship, just leaves you wanting. Um, last thing, you got just a couple more minutes. I'm over, but let me give you this. Um, Anybody have an extension cord like this at home? <laughs> Every time I go to the shed. I, I rolled it up the last time. Rolled it up the last time, and this is what I get. Now, I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I'm like, that looks like about enough room. <laughs> Plug it in, stretch it over here. Because what do I not want to do? I don't want to untangle the knot. Right? Because I sure didn't do it. So I just, I'm just going to stretch it out as far as I can, get as much out of this rascal as I can, right? And here's the deal. It still works. It still works. For many of us, the knot is back here and no one can see it. And that knot of lust and anger. And here's the deal. You, you plug it in, and it still works. You're stretched, but it still works. And people see you smiling. People see you serving. People see you show up. People see you come take communion. People, like I, I go to work, everything's fine, but what they're not seeing is all of this. And sure, it may have not come out yet as abuse, or it may not have come out as as assault, it may not have come out as a sexual act with someone else, but there's just this gross knot back there. And this is what we don't want to do. Start doing that. Because it's going to take some time. But here's my word to you. Um, I look around this room. And there are some men and women who've untangled the knot or working on untangling the knot who said, you know what? I don't want to be 10 foot of extension cord when there's a 100 foot there that God could use. And so I, I'm, I'm willing. And if that means I've got to sit across the table with somebody and say, and I, this is it, untangle the knot. If that means you need to put away a smartphone and get a flipper, then do it. If that means we need to go to anger management counseling, then we need to do it. If that means we need to put some device, something on, some filter on our phone, then do it. If that means I need to sit across the table from a small group leader or a pastor or, or some lady here and I need to talk about it, then let's do it. Let's, I mean, I know no one wants to untangle the thing. You want to be 10 foot stretched or you want to be 100 foot? I just want all the possibility for you, right? I want all of that for you. I want you to live in that freedom. I want us to represent, here's the deal, the kingdom of God is in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The rule and reign of God is here. And let's be a hundred foot of it. Let's be a hundred foot of it. 
Um, here in a minute, you go get a chance to take communion. Kind of just be really forthright. For some of us, we might need to pause on that today. And that's fine. For some of us, we need to come up here and take it and confess. For some of us, we need to say, thank you, Jesus, because you've been helping me untie this knot now for the last two years. And thank you, thank you, thank you. However we respond, last thing I'm going to say, Jesus is a really good king. And he loves you. He gave himself for you. And if there is anyone who wants to see you be a hundred foot of unknotted extension cord, it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him. Oh, Father, uh, I thank you for in the past and currently how you just helping me untangle the knot. My heart, it, it's just constant. Right? I thank you for this new heart you've given me. I thank you for this new, new life you've given me. And, and I confess I'm always at war with the flesh that just... Uh. And so, Lord, I'm looking forward to the day when the kingdom is perfect and you are ruling and reigning perfectly and, and I get to submit to that perfectly. But right now, we're the best the world has and I pray that we would be working on the not of our hearts to reflect your love and your grace to this world. Jesus, thank you for being a really good king, the perfect model and example for all of this. Yeah, Lord, we love you. This is what we ask. Amen.